Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Isaiah, and this uh, scripture was written uh, more than 700 years before the birth of Christ. Uh, Isaiah was a prophet who was exiled by the Assyrians, and uh, he wrote about a future time. Now, he was not someone that could predict the future. Prophets like Isaiah simply heard the word from God and spoke the words of God. So, Uh, Listen as I read chapter 9 of Isaiah, verse 2, and then verses 6 and 7. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is God's word for a people of God. Amen. Thank you, Russ. Uh, Well, I was just wondering if anybody here is a little bit exhausted after watching volleyball last night. You know that? I I was worn out. Of course, it was still hard to go to sleep after that, right? Uh, And how about that fast and furious storm we had a few days ago? I thought it was uh, appropriate that it happened on a Wednesday. Oh, hey, yeah, uh, booze only encouraged me, just so you know. Anyway, as, as I mentioned in my Thursday email, today's mission offering will go to the United Methodist Committee on Relief as they're doing their tornado uh, response work. Uh, one of the things they do really well, and I've been able to be a part of this. Church has been a part of some of that before that UMCOR has done. And uh, they work with conference disaster coordinators and, and local churches and volunteer mission teams and I'm so proud of the work they do. So if you want to give to that today, you're, you're welcome to do that. Uh, use those mission envelopes in the pews. Let's pray. Lord God, we know that you are at work in all places, including these places that have been struck by these devastating storms. Uh, and so, Lord, we ask that you would let the, the generosity and care of Jesus' people really come through and be a sign of your love. And Jesus, thank you. We just want to say thank you again for coming into this world. Thank you for bringing God's kingdom on earth. Holy Spirit, enter our hearts and minds afresh. Do your deep cleaning work in us. Make us whole and holy. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today is the fourth Sunday in Advent, and our series, In Our Darkness, A Light Has Dawned. And today we're paying attention to Isaiah's powerful prophecy about the Messiah's kingdom. Uh, The United States, how old is it since we had, you know, Independence Day? I mean, I did some math, and I, I think I came up with 245 years. Does that sound right? I hope I'm close. Yeah, does that sound right? Somebody said yes. And uh, anyway, will it last another 245 years? I don't know. 
Uh, maybe, maybe not. But we know strange things happen, you know, in the unfolding of historical events. You know, the nation of Israel was obliterated by the Romans in 136 A.D. People were exiled and never returned. And then, amazingly, 1,812 years later, in what could be understood as a fulfillment of prophecy, Israel became a nation again. Empires rise and fall. Nations come and go. Rulers get replaced. Yet the Bible tells of a kingdom that will endure forever, a government that will, that will never end. I have, a Christian, or a, I have a Christmas confession to make. I have never watched the movie National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. <laughs> never watched it. Never watched it. And for, the, for those of you who would say that's your favorite Christmas movie, you have my sincere apologies. But there is a scene that I have watched, and I actually I just caught it recently. It's the one where Chevy Chase plugs in his extension cord, and, and all the magnificent outdoor display comes on, and in all its glory, and you see the delight on his face, you know? And while the soundtrack plays what? The Hallelujah Chorus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Of course, you know, the Hallelujah Chorus gets co-opted for all kinds of things, right? Uh, and it got me thinking, well, why did Handel write the Hallelujah Chorus in the first place? What, what was its original purpose? Well, its purpose is to celebrate the reign of the Messiah. The lyrics come right out of the book of Revelation. And traditionally, you know what happens when the, when the choir and the symphony perform the Hallelujah Chorus? What do the pe people in the audience do? They stand. They rise you know, it's like they've been ushered before the throne of the king of kings. And at one point in the, in the aria, it says, The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah, hallelujah. The Bible tells us over and over about this kingdom. And one of those places is in Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, you know, this Advent is the first time I've ever done an entire series where we've read the same scripture every Sunday. We did Isaiah 9, verses 2, 6, and 7. Today, I want to walk briefly through uh, all of those verses, 1 through 7, so you can better understand the context, okay? So let's open our Bibles. If you brought your Bible, great. We also have pew Bibles in uh, Isaiah 9, starting with verse 1. Uh, pew Bible starts on page 687. Now, the 8th century B.C. is a dark time for God's people. Sounds like the beginning of a Star Wars movie, doesn't it? A dark time. The Assyrian Empire has destroyed all the other fortified cities in Judah, and now it sets its sights on Jerusalem. And, of course, the people are terrified. Then Isaiah speaks a word from the Lord. Verse 1. Nevertheless... There will be no more gloom for those who were in deep distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the, and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. 
Now, if you zip forward to Matthew's gospel in the New Testament, it says that these first two verses from Isaiah chapter 9 find their ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. Verse 2, let's go on. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. So, yes, there was an original fulfillment in the 8th century B.C. God saved Jerusalem from the Assyrian army, but Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment, the light shining in the darkness. Then Isaiah says, for the next, spend the next few verses talking about how, how happy people are going to be uh, when that light really dawns. It's like the happiness we experience when times are really good. You know, those best of times, and we're full of happiness and prosperity and hope and life. Verse 3, you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. Have you seen those, those pictures and, and video clips of, of the end of when it was announced that World War II had ended and people rush out of their homes and they're seeing everybody and they're hugging each other and sailors and nurses are kissing, you know. Our joy, he says, it's like that. Or it's like in the book of Judges uh, when God surprisingly sends most of Israel's troops home. Don't need you, don't need you, don't need you. And he uses only a few hundred of them to defeat this huge army from Midian. And after that victory, the Israelites, I could just imagine and just praising the Lord, hallelujah, God has given us a great victory. So I think he's saying our joy is going to be like that. Let's look at verse 4. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, and they want to say hallelujah. And then Isaiah says, that the days of bloodshed are coming to an end. Peace will prevail. The weapons of war will be burned. Even the soldiers' blood-stained clothing will be cast into the flames because it's time to put on some new duds now. This party's about to get started. Verse 5, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. How's God going to do all this? By bringing a new ruler. You know verse 6. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then we come to verse 7. And this is really our verse for the day. It starts out, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Now, I don't think he's talking about government like we usually think of with government. You know, constitution, institution, legislation, bureaucracy. This won't be a humanly invented government. It will be the reign of peace by the prince of peace. Like a sheltering tree, uh, the shalom of God will spread its branches uh, of wholeness and holiness over all the earth. And Isaiah says, there will be no end. You see, Christmas, it's about the birth of a very special baby, yeah. But it's about a lot more than that. 
It's about what, what, what the reason for the, his, the baby's coming and the start of a long-awaited kingdom. And, you know, that's why we sing joy to the world at Christmas time. Because we have a new king, and we have a new kingdom that we belong to. So I thought, we ought to just break into song in the middle of the message. Don't you think? Sing joy to the world first verse. You sing it with me. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and heaven and nature sing. Good job, everybody. We sing, why do we sing joy to the world? We sing joy to the world because God's promise to Abraham to bless all the nations of the earth is finally fulfilled. We sing joy to the world because God's promise to David to establish a dynasty that would never end has come at last. Verse 7 goes on. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forevermore. That is our future. A kingdom of justice and righteousness and peace. You know, in, uh, in Christmas time and Advent, we, we go to Luke's gospel a lot, the first uh, chapter, and, and uh, the, one of the times where Ga- the angel Gabriel uh, surprises Mary and tells her that she's uh, going to bear the, the, the Son of God. And, and uh, the angel's words sound a whole lot like Isaiah 9, verse 7. Borrowing language directly from that. The angel says, I'll put it up on the screen. The angel says, The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And even now, Jesus' reign has begun. Even now... He is influencing the world like yeast in dough. Even now, we catch glimpses of the greatness of his government. Let me tell you about one of those glimpses. South African Archbishop and Nobel Peace Prize winner Desmond Tutu is still living. He's now 90 years of age. When he was young, like many South Africans who were black... He was sometimes beaten, sometimes put in jail because of the color of his skin. But God showed him glimpses of another kingdom. When Desmond was a boy, one day he was out walking with his mother, and a white man, who happened to be a priest, tipped his hat to Desmond's mother. That act of respect And dignity had a profound impact on the boy. When he was a teenager, uh, Desmond uh, Tutu became sick with tuberculosis. He spent 20 months in the hospital. And that same priest came to visit him nearly every day. He learned a lot from the priest. He learned that apartheid, that that system that that kept the unfairly kept the, the races so separate. That, that it was wrong. But he also learned that not all white people are bad. 
years later, when Desmond Tutu has a, had a son, he named him after that Anglican priest for the kindness that man had shown him and for all that Desmond had learned from him. And when apartheid finally ended, the nation needed healing from, from generations of abuse and injustice. And, and Desmond was tapped to chair the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. They heard, they went, they went from town to town, city to city throughout the country, and they, and they, they had hearings. And, and they heard terrible stories, atrocities of what was done. And they also heard healing words, I'm sorry, and I forgive you. Now, was Desmond Tutu a political leader? No, he, he was not an elected official at all. He, he was appointed by then President Nelson Mandela, but Desmond Tutu worked for a higher government. He was an ambassador of the kingdom of Christ, appointed by God for such a time as this. this. This is what it's like when the world is being transformed by the reign of Jesus. Here's another glimpse of the greatness of his kingdom. It comes from the city of Leipzig in what was then communist East Germany. In 1982, a church, maybe not that different from our church, they started a prayer meeting for peace every Monday night. Started with seven people. That's all they had gathered, seven people coming together every Monday night, pray for peace. They kept meeting every Monday, year after year. Word got out and people started showing up who had no other way to express their frustration about the injustice they experienced. So they came and they prayed. Seven years after it began, the crowd of peace prayers had grown so large that the government authorities were threatened by it. And they decided to discourage people from coming to it. So they put up barricades on the street leading up to the church. But the barricades, as you can imagine had the opposite effect. Defiantly, even more people showed up to pray. October 7th, 1989, was a national holiday, the 40th anniversary of the East German government. And the president announced. He didn't want any, any of this happening, so he announced that that church is closed. People showed up anyway. They came to pray. Many of them were arrested. Two days later the government announced that prayer protests would be put down, quote, with whatever means necessary. Nearby hospitals prepared to receive the wounded. That night, about 7,000 people came to prayer meetings in churches all over Leipzig. But that was just the tip of the iceberg. In all, about 70,000 people came to the center of the city, but they did not come bearing weapons. They came carrying lit candles as a sign of peace. They came to pray for peace and to bear witness to the light. As the 70,000 
candle-carrying, praying protesters walked past the headquarters of the secret police. They chanted, no violence, no violence. They saw gunmen up on the roof, their guns out pointing at them, and they kept praying, no violence. The police didn't know how to respond. Soldiers were in tanks, ready to confront them. They didn't know what to do. One communist official said, we were ready for anything except candles and prayers. Amazingly, the police and the tanks withdrew. That pastor that, in that church that originally started that first prayer meeting said, if miracles happened, this was truly one of them. Exactly one month later, the East German government gave permission for its people to visit West Berlin. The next month, the gate between East Berlin and West Berlin was permanently open. Six months later, the Berlin Wall started coming down. How did that happen? We get a, I think it's a glimpse of the kingdom of Christ on earth. It's a preview of the reign of the Prince of Peace. This is what happens when people begin living in that kingdom now. Do you remember the, the hymn? And uh, It's an old hymn. It's in our hymnal. Lead on, O King Eternal. Um, the second verse goes like this. Lead on, O King Eternal, till sin's fierce war shall cease and holiness shall whisper the sweet amen of peace. For not with swords loud clashing or roll of stirring drums, with deeds of love and mercy, the heavenly kingdom comes. And then Isaiah 9, verse 7, ends with a promise. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Another way to translate zeal is uh, passionate commitment. The Lord is passionately committed to, to uh, accomplishing this future. He's passionately committed to establishing this kingdom of righteousness and justice and peace. And I believe that if we are watching, even now we see glimpses in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our cities. I hope that our church is a symbol of that kingdom. And one day, when the Messiah returns in all his glory to judge and save the earth, he will establish his kingdom forever and ever. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Jesus, you are our king, and by your grace you have made us citizens of your kingdom. And we are looking forward to the day when your kingdom will be fully established on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, when the world won't believe in the power of peace, we will, because we believe in you. You are the prince of peace. And Lord, when the, when the world refuses to seek justice, we will. Because your reign brings justice and righteousness. And Lord, when the world gives up 
hope for the future. We will remain hopeful because we believe that one day you will fully establish your kingdom forever. And all God's people said, Amen.